Welcome to Hall Talk. Life is filled with unexpected moments. Thank you for joining Jared Hall, a specialist in being a generalist, as he shares biblical insights and leadership lessons while curating stories. And now your host, Jared Hall. Hello and welcome to Hall Talk. I'm your host, Jared Hall. This is episode 13 which means that we're going to be diving into an interview. We're going to be curating some stories from my friend, David McIntosh. David serves as the senior pastor at Hillcrest Baptist in Muscatine, Iowa. I'm not sure if you've heard of Muscatine before, but it's also the home of Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales. David's been pastoring for a number of years, but he has been all around the country and all around the world, and I'm so excited for this opportunity to sit down with my dear friend, and I think that you are going to enjoy hearing some of his stories. So with no further ado, let's get into this week's interview with David McIntosh. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Today's guest is David McIntosh. David, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. David, I want people to get, get a little taste of who you are. Uh, so I want to ask you a few questions. First question, what's a what's a little-known fact about you? A little-known fact about me. Ah, when I was uh, used to, when I was a young man, eight, nine years old, I raced BMX bikes. And uh, it was crazy because I was ranked nationally as a BMX bike racer at eight and nine years old. And now that sounds impressive. My kids don't think it's as impressive as I think it sounds. But uh, I was actually on the team. And so we raced like five races a weekend. It's all boys based on points. You get points, right? You finish and stuff. And so I was a uh, nationally ranked BMX racer at eight and nine years old. You have a cool you, deal. You live my childhood dream. <laughs> Did I really? It, it was kind of fun. I mean, it was crazy because I would, the way our team worked was we would race all day Saturday and, and actually quite a ways away. And so we'd come home. There were times I'm like nine years old at night, nine years old on a Saturday night, actually Sunday morning, coming into my house at two thirty in the morning, pushing my bike because my team bus had just dropped me off at the house. My parents are asleep, my brother's asleep. I'm walking the house on bike at two thirty a.m. as a nine year old boy because I've been racing bikes all day in different areas. It was kind of crazy, but it was it was fun. I have great memories of that. So I'm completely envious of you right now. <laughs> have you ever heard of the uh, 1980s movie Rad? Uh, yes, yes, I have. That is my all-time favorite movie. It it, it obviously romanticized BMX racing because I was in a lifestyle and it wasn't quite near that much uh, that much romance. It didn't quite to, it didn't quite live up to that hype. So, but we we worked hard. It was a lot of fun. So you were nine instead of an adolescence. That's why. Uh, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you need a paper route too. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have that. My brother had that. I didn't have that. So <laughs> nice. Uh, so question for you, how do you drink your coffee? Is yes the right answer? Yes. Yes. Just, you yes. drink it black I, with cream. Uh, you got it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't care for it sweet. I, I'll do, I'll do a lot of stuff. I, uh, really enjoy a Amer- good Americano. It's probably my favorite coffee drink, a really good Americano with maybe just a splash of heavy whipping cream. But, um, I don't care anything sweet. I don't, it doesn't matter a lot as long as it's not sweet. So. Excellent. Uh, and now. Uh, what do you do for a career for a living? Um, well, I'm a pastor. I was going to come up with something you know, about being some sort of, you know, devil stomping ninja, but that's, that's a secondary, right? <laughs> so I'm more of a, just, a, just a pastor. And, uh, if you weren't pastoring, what would be your dream job? Oh, 
So I used to, uh, used to be in, I used to be a sales manager and a branch manager for a supply company. And uh, that was in the Carolinas back before I was pastoring. And we would take customers offshore fishing uh, as a, just a customer reward, customer, uh, you know, relationship builder type thing. Sure. I fell in love with offshore fishing. I'm talking like offshore, like 60, 70, 80 miles out offshore fishing in these big boats. And my dream job would be to have a, it sounds pretty specific because it is a 90 foot sport fisherman uh, boat stationed in Costa Rica that I was the captain of and just taking people offshore looking for big blue marlin every day. I, that would be my dream job would be literally chartering uh, or having being a guide on a charter boat hunting for big marlin every day of the year. I'd be, uh, I think I'd be happy. That's amazing. Um, okay. So, so you're pastoring in Iowa. You talked about, you mentioned uh, working in the Carolinas. So wh- where did you actually grow up at? Uh, you know, uh, you've heard of military brats. I'm I'm a modified version. I call a pastor's brat, right? I'm I'm a pastor's kid, and so my uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. I was actually born in Wisconsin, and uh, my uh, there was my there's three boys in my family. My little brother was born a couple years after I was born, and he was very sick. Mm. And uh, in fact, he in the first year of his life, he was in the hospital for 20, 24 times in twelve months due to asthma. And I guess after he was like eleven months old. The doctor told my folks, they said, if you want, so we're living in Wisconsin. They said, if you want Eric, his name, to see another year of life, you need to move out of here where he can, where his lungs can develop, get to a drier climate. So we quickly moved in out to Arizona. And so I kind of spent, uh, I think about nine years or so in Arizona. And then, um, after that, we moved back to Illinois, to the mid state of Illinois, West central Illinois. I graduated high school from there. So, uh, I was born in Wisconsin, kind of, I guess, grew up in, Arizona and kind of came of age in Illinois, if that makes sense. Okay, so Midwest, Southwest, yeah, Southeast, yeah. Mm-hmm. traverse the country. Yeah. Um, so, so with the moving, as you think about your childhood, uh, who was uh, who's a favorite teacher, and and why were they one of your favorite teachers? You know, I'm going to jump ahead to college if you don't mind on that sure. uh, yeah. for a favorite teacher. I had a so I went to college uh, down in the South, and uh, I, uh, and of course, when you get there as a freshman at our college, anyways, you had to take entrance exams and, you know, these, these placement exams, right? And so, you know, trying to figure out what math class to be in, what English class to be in, that kind of stuff. Why well, somehow tested into the higher English class, so 102 versus 101. I, I hate English. I, I don't, the diagramming sentences and the whole subject and verb agreement was very difficult for me. And uh, so I, my advisor said, well, he said, good news. You tested into English 102 versus 101. And I said, I said, sir, I'd like to go back and take 101 because I really don't understand anything about it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't really want to go to 102. He said, let's go talk to the teacher about that. And uh, her name was Mrs. Newts. And, uh, and she just was very gracious. She said, um, she said, I'll tell you the way those tests are structured, that, um, if you can pass the entrance test, you'll be successful in class. And she said, but I'll make you this promise that if you struggle, I'll do whatever I can to make you successful in this class. I said, seriously, said, I mean that I will do whatever I can. So I'm pretty sure in that one semester, probably 14 Friday nights for two or three hours, we were in her office going through it because I was not getting in. And she helped her. She kept the word. I graduated through the class, got to that class. But then she retired immediately after that. So I think I, I, think I, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know she would have been teaching quite a while, but it was like, literally I was, I took her up on that. And, and I think 
for the majority of the semester, every Friday night for hours, I was in her office just going, I, I didn't get it. Yeah. And so she was, she was very gracious. I, I Mrs. Newt would be my favorite teacher. I had some other good teachers, but she just was very gracious, but also very, um, you know, she stuck to her word and very, just said this was, this what it is. So. Yeah. That's extremely admirable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was admirable. She she gave up the whole profession after that, but she she got me through it. So that's right. She stuck to her word, and then she got out. She knew right? she could do that again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what what are three adjectives you use to describe yourself? Um, I would say empathetic. I uh, I can I, I find it very easy to put myself in other people's shoes. I think that's probably a pretty good uh, trait for a pastor. Um. You know, I, but I do. I find I find uh, empathy comes fairly easy to me. I'd also say that I'm um, a little bit restless uh, when I uh, in my in. Uh, so I, I like to conquer things. Um, just if I and if I set my mind to something, once once I conquer it, I'm ready to move on. I don't. It's like I don't like to stay in. You know, it's like you finish the game. It's time to start another game. You know, just for me, I'm a little restless in that regard. Um, but I'm also uh, in. Let me explain this one. I'm, I'm a little, I have high expectations for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't usually, um, I don't usually put those on people. You know, I, I, I expect myself to, to never mess up. I expect myself to, to always be on point, always be this, always be that. And uh, even just my hobbies, I expect, you know, that everything I do in my hobby is to be exactly perfect and exactly right. And so if it doesn't, I get frustrated, which frustrates my family. They're like, dad, come on. You know, it's just, it's just a rack of ribs or, you know, it's just something silly, but <laughs> I do. I have pretty high expectations for myself. And I, and I do think I, I, I feel like I hold myself that, but I don't usually hold all other people that as well. So, yeah, that's excellent. So let's move to the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you uh, questions. This can be either or questions, just preferential and uh, you fire off the response. So kind of gut reaction. All right. So uh, <laughs> go to movie series, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Star Wars. Uh, ESV or NASB. ESV. Android or Apple? Seriously? Apple. What, what's Android? We're going to go get dessert. You're going to get cake or pie? Pie. So you're going out for food. You're going to carry out the food or you're going to dine in? Dine in. You're grilling gas or charcoal? Do I, how much time do I have? As much time as you need. I, I, I prefer charcoal, but gas on a, on a night where it's short. But I prefer charcoal. All right. Now you got a meeting. Are you on time or are you a little bit late? On time or early. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, for giving us a quick snapshot into uh, who you are. Appreciate it, brother. So, brother David, you talked to us about how you had worked in the Carolinas. You're now pastoring in Iowa. How does someone make that transition that you've made? <laughs> um, through pure stubbornness, I guess, Jared, to be honest. <laughs> um, so it's, it's actually called a ministry. If you have a few minutes, it's, uh, it's kind of my life story. I grew up, my dad's a pastor and, um, I decided at a young age that that life was not for me. <laughs> I just, there wasn't much that I, uh, looked at that life thinking, wow, this is what I want. You know, and, I mean, my dad would pour his heart and soul into churches and it just seemed like, you know, the harder he worked, the more he cared, less response he got, you know, people would just be mean to him and, I just remember thinking at a young age, man, I don't want that for my family. Like we didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of things. I mean, life was just, it seemed like it was hard. And my dad loved well. My dad loves hard. And yet, with no, you know, reciprocity. And uh, I just remember thinking, that's not for me. 
And uh, my dad grew up in Wisconsin, uh, my mom and dad both, but my dad had a farm, we grew up on a farm. And so we had a family farm in Wisconsin. And my plan was to go farm that farm. And uh, so I actually uh, worked out very well. My dear wife um, was a pre-vet major. So I'm like, how, how cool is this? You're going to be a farmer and you get a veterinarian wife. I mean, that's like, so it had to be God's will, right? And, and um, but she, uh, she's a great lady. And so uh, the plan was through high school, through college, um, we met in college our freshman year to, to go farm. And so as soon as we got out of the college, it seemed like the, the farm market, uh, this had been in the uh, early 90s of the farm market tanks. And we just, we could not, no matter how we tried to budget it and make the, the business plan work for lending, we could not get the business plan to work out with with cows being as expensive as they were and everything else being as cheap as it was, we just could not get a, a business plan that would make any sense to a bank. So we decided we would just uh, sit uh, in the Carolinas uh, for a year or two, just kind of mark time and um, to uh, just see what God had for us. And at that time, we both got employed in the supply business and, and just things were going really well for us. And life was good. We were involved in a church down there, a great church. And uh, just started feeling like uh, through a series of evangelistic meetings at our church, maybe God was calling us to ministry and calling me specifically. And uh, I went talking to my pastor about it. And, and quite frankly, I mean, he kind of blew me off. He just, uh, I said, hey, I kind of uh, think maybe God has something for me in ministry. And, and um, he, uh, he said, well, here, he gave me a book. And he said, well, here, just go home and read this book. And if God's calling you to ministry, he'll show that to you. And I think, oh, wow. Well, I guess that's, uh, that's my answer. You know, I mean, I literally, so to this day, um, and he's not passing more, but to this day, he's never ever followed up and said, Hey, whatever, whatever happened. And I don't know why that was, but maybe it wasn't time. The timing wasn't right. So I feel like, well, kind of dodge that bullet, right? I didn't want to be a pastor. And so I'm like, whoo, yeah, yeah, not going to do that. But then, um, we were so fast forward to probably two or three years. We're still at that church and we go on a missions trip down to Columbia, South America. We, the church had was, had some interest there at a big Bible camp there outside of Bogota. And, uh, We'd gone down a couple times to uh, to work on this camp, actually on a construction trip. We were there, and uh, this would be in, um, I guess it would be January of 2001. Uh, yeah, 2001. And we're there, and like the last day we're there, um, the missionary that was kind of overseeing everything, he came to me and said, hey, and Susie was with me, she said, he said, hey, we'd like to have you and your wife over supper tonight. We're like, what did we do wrong? You know, how did, how do you get called out on, you're on a missions trip? How do you get called out on a missions trip? Right. And so that night they, uh, he had a couple of missionary families from the area that were partnering with the, in the camp there who just simply sat down and asked us and said, we, we'd like, we've seen you here a couple of times and you and your wife do a great job here. We'd like you to come back to Bogota as missionary, as the camp directors. And we have a place for you. We have some money for you. We can, we can kind of put you up for two or three years and if you like it and we like you and it works out well, go back to the States, raise your money for support and then come back as a full-time missionary. And so they offered that to us. I think it was on a Saturday night. We were flying out Sunday back home. And so here we are. So we left. We'll pray about it, think about it. But it was a cool offer. I mean, it's a great place. And we get so we fly back home on Sunday. I go back to work Monday. And the day, we, the day I come back to work, uh, my the, the region vice president of our the company I was working for stopped by our office and offered me a promotion to be a branch manager in Greensboro, North Carolina. So within 48 hours, I have basically a job offer to go to Columbia as a missionary or a job offer to go to North Carolina as a branch manager. Not a bad week. And, um, what's that? Not a bad week. Not a bad week. 
Uh, but we uh, ultimately we chose to go to North Carolina. Uh, we forego the missionary endeavor, which was ended up being a good thing because in that next about the next year and a half later, Susie's dad had passed away, and so we were able to spend some good time with him, which would not have been available had we were if we were in Columbia. And yeah. so we moved to North Carolina though, and, and life was going well, but again, just just didn't feel um, just didn't feel fulfilled, knew there was more out there. And so I went to talk to my pastor. Of course, we changed churches at that point in time. And, and he just, I said, I feel like I'm called to ministry. And he's like, well, here's what you do. Go home and talk to your family about it. He said, I don't believe that God would call you by yourself. If you're a single man in college or seminary, then God might call you. But if you, if you got a, since you have a family and kids, God's not going to call you without calling them. And he said, just check with them and see what their gauge is on that. Of course, my, my son was probably three of my daughters once. They really had no perception, right? but I get it. But anyways, I go home and have this conversation with my wife. And I simply said, I think God's called me to ministry. And she said, if God's called you, let's get, let's go at it. Let's get at it. And so we went at it and uh, finished a degree. And ultimately not during that time though, I, I knew a guy who was pastoring in Iowa, a small church in a small community in Iowa, a very rural community. And uh, he was leaving to go take a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he, he just simply told the church, he said, hey, I know this guy that's looking for a church. He doesn't have all experience, but he has a farm background. And that was what it, what they, were, they, they thought. Man, this guy's a pastor with a farm background in a farming community in Iowa. This would, this would make perfect sense. Yeah. And so we, uh, we surrendered to, to ministry um, to make that. Uh, we moved here to Iowa to, to pastor that church. And what a great church. The town was, was tiny, 150, 200 people at best if you count every dog and cat. Uh, very small in a very small county. The county is 20,000 people total. It, I think there's like 2 million hogs in Jones County, Iowa. There's like 20,000 people with hogs. That number of people like 10 to 1 or something. You know, it's it's crazy stuff. But we found in that place a great church people, that people that loved my family, mm. loved the Lord. And ultimately, the people were able to let me, well, let me make some mistakes. And you come into this, I, I came in late in life, not late in life. I came in later than I was 20 or 30 years old right there. And yet they were just very gracious, you know, to, to make, let me try anything I wanted to and not hold it against me when I made mistakes. And so what a great church, but that's how we get to Iowa's. God was persistently calling, persistently just working through some stuff to say, I want you in ministry. And so at the right time, uh, in his time, I surrendered ministry and we moved to Iowa and that's how we get to Iowa. I love that. There's so many, so many layers to that story in terms of uh, almost like false starts, right? Like you, sure. you started down the farm community, you had this potential opportunity in the Carolinas, um, and then you had this opportunity uh, in South America. All these things keep keep coming, and then finally the Lord gives you that final bump. Um, thank you for sharing that, yeah. brother. That's a that's a great story, and I hope it's uh, I hope it's encouraging for people as they're trying to figure out what the Lord has for them in their life. So excellent. You're welcome. David, you shared with us about going from Carolinas to Iowa, from moving from a business background into full-time ministry. Uh, the question on my mind is, have you ever felt like this was a bad idea? <laughs> yes, that's that's correct. But uh, let me fill, so a couple more things in there as far as that goes. Um, as you know, pastoring does not is not a highly paid occupation. There are a lot of benefits, a lot of perks we love. Unfortunately, the paycheck is not one of those. I guess unless you're a televangelist, right? Unless you're unless you're you got to preach a different gospel, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but the church I was taking was a very small church in a very small town. There's one a lot, and so we ultimately 
agreed to a, uh, a pay cut of $40,000 per year, um, which it was actually, in, in, it was God's working in my heart and life anyway, just, just to get that point, because I had grown up, I mentioned earlier, I grew up with a lot, we didn't have a lot of things. And so part of my success, part of my gauge of life was how many things we had, right? And so things were kind of important to me and, and reaching some level of status because I didn't have anything when I was growing up as a kid. And so the reality is that uh, I desired, I had a need or desire for things and a desire for, to, to attain status and money. And so to get to the point where they made us the offer, it was $40,000 a year less. That doesn't even count the bonus I was making, really became a test of faith. And in, in fact, I think if my wife was on here, she would tell you that she was surprised I said yes to that <laughs> because it was for so long. And I don't think I was greedy, but I was definitely had a focus on, you know, this, this thing I felt like I lost in my childhood, these things. So to take a, a big pay cut and being able to do that and without even really thinking about, you know, man, how are we going to make this work was really a God thing already. He'd already worked in my heart and began changing me before I was even knew what was going on to ultimately say, yes, I'll take that. But then, so we move up here, we, we move, we, we had left a new house. The Carolinas, we load up everything we have in the back of a Penske truck, and we move up to Iowa. And uh, it was kind of a, a rough getting going. It just the truck broke down way up here. A lot of funny stories with that. But <laughs> I'll never forget we were coming into Iowa, and uh, so there's a the, the you come off the interstate up 64, and there's a little town there called Makokita. And uh, we were coming late one night, and we stopped there, and we think we ate at Pizza Hut. And uh, it was so we we're getting ready to go in Anza, which is our the town where we were ministering at, and. Um, so we were, there was excitement. There was a little bit of, cause it was our first time in the house. We were bringing all of our stuff. You know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of emotions going on there, but I remember clearly, and it was funny cause I was driving the truck, the Penske truck, and my wife was behind us in the van and we both in two different vehicles though, we, we see so we're pulling out of Makokota on 64, I think it is driving towards Old Town called Wyoming and the lights of the city are getting less and less. And the darkness is becoming more and more. It's like literally like you're leaving what is light and going to what you have no idea of. And we get to, so Anza is about a 25, 30 minute drive from the coconut. And we get to there, we pull in the driveway of the parsonage. And we have this, Sue so said, did you notice pulling the coconut, those lights getting smaller in the mirror? And I said, yes, I did. It was crazy because we both had this sense of, Man, we are going in the darkness. We have no idea. And we, I mean, we had no family in Iowa. Uh, we had no, uh, we had no, um, you know, relation at church. We were simply, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm, I was just a minute ago managing, doing a, being a branch manager of a supply company. Now I'm pastoring. Yeah. There were some times where like, was this a good idea? <laughs> did, did, we, did we maybe miss God's call? Were we just, you know, was that little, was that something we were not hearing right or what? So yeah, there have been times where that's been like, Ooh, was that the right thing? What a poignant picture of the lights dimming. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate your uh, authenticity and honesty with that. David, something that um, anybody who's been in ministry knows is that uh, when you're working with people, it gets messy. And in the business world, sometimes you can keep some stronger boundaries. uh, But in church world, those things get intermeshed pretty quickly. So I was wondering if you had a story of when ministry got messy for you and, and how you navigated those waters and, and what kept you going. 
just just one story? Is all you want? Just one? Because there's probably there's a lot more. Than that. <laughs> we'll start with one. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, uh, so here we are. Uh, I mean, I'm just I, a business guy uh, who surrendered to ministry recently, and I'm in this little church in the middle of Iowa. And I get a call one night uh, from a lady in our church who uh, just says, hey, pastor, can you come over? I need to talk to you. And you can tell in her voice, man, this is just not good. It's you just you could feel the heaviness across the phone. Show up over there, and her husband is in some pretty serious legal trouble. And uh, it's really tough because the situation he's got himself into becomes known throughout the community. And uh, it's actually so there's there's a family, this family is our church, and there's another family in the community that that were not part of our church. And this is a very small town. And and the other the other party involved in that were was not were not being very quiet or gracious about it. They were they were trying to broadcast through the town about how much of a criminal this guy was and how it was all bad and stuff. And I remember trying to figure out how do I deal this? Remember, I'm just, I'm new in this, right? And I don't know what to do. And so I call some of my friends and are like, find a counselor, send them out, you know, just get, get, get them some help from somebody that knows how to do this. Wash your hands of it. You know, just, just kind of say, we, we sent them out for counseling. Called a, uh, a guy, a mentor of mine, and I just talked into the situation, just trying to get some clarity on it. And he was, he was an odd duck. I mean, he was the oddity. He was the outlier because he just said to me on the phone, he said, so tell me um, why in the world, when this guy needs you, why would you leave him be? And he laid out, he said, this is what you're going to do. And he said, you're going to find out about this situation he's involved. Then you're going to find out about how to deal with what the structural issues are. You're going to develop a plan of a course of discipleship for him. And you're going to take him to the discipleship course because you're going to help him grow. He's going to help you grow. You're going to become a better pastor through this. And that's, and that was exactly right. That, that has sat on my mind for a long time. That whole, that whole statement, if that they can't count on you when the time, when the chips are down, when they need you, why are they, why are they there when, when the things are good? Why do they need you for that? And so I did, it was, it was a, it was a process. We um, had to work through some stuff with him. Uh, at his kitchen table many nights, he's going through some stuff. We had to now again. We we did some stuff in the church. Um, we actually ultimately did some um, a little bit of uh, church discipline, but then also had to, you know, kind of let that be known in the community a little bit too, because the community was wondering how does this go on in this little church and this little town. And it was it was a so cozy, right? We had to handle some things that I wish we hadn't done. I mean, as far as I wish we hadn't have handled it, and I, I feel like there's probably a couple things we did that were not. You know, they're not, not perfect. We didn't handle it exactly the best way. But ultimately, though, what happens is that that worked out to the church is good. People realized we were doing something as a church in the community. Um, and that uh, that family is, is resolved. It's got resolved. And so it's worked out for pretty well. But it was a, it was a messy few months. And I, I remember thinking, you know, this is this little surreal how six months ago I'm sitting in an office in North Carolina selling pipe and valves and fire hydrants. And here I am trying on trying to disciple a church and ultimately I think even a community through what could have been a very, very difficult time. And it was difficult, uh, but it was pretty surreal. So it was messy. That's, that's where I would put it. It was messy for sure. So. Yeah. And it's a good testimony to the fact that you chose to lean into the mess where most of the council was to get away from the mess, yep. Yep. Uh, which is really a hard example to find in the new Testament where people we're fleeing from the mess, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's good. That's uh, kudos to you, brother, for wow. uh, finding the right mentor and uh, heeding his wise counsel. That's very good. 
Yeah. So it kind of, it's kind of defined my ministry. I've used that. I mean, I can't tell me times I've actually told myself in my mind, you know, Hey, if they can't trust you or they don't need you when things are bad, why they need you when things are good. And so that's a, it's been a, uh, a mantra of my ministry. Well, I hope that's uh, influential for other young leaders as well. I hope so. So Dave, part of what goes along with pastoring oftentimes is counseling. Um, and sometimes you end up in counseling sessions where unexpected things come out, unexpected things get said. Have you had a situation where that occurred that you can share uh, discreetly? Uh, sure. I have, I have two funny ones. The one, the first one's easy to tell. I was in a counseling situation with a, with a family and um, it had some issues that emerged for a long time and ultimately had a breakthrough. It came to forgiveness and he made a comment to her. He said, you remember 25 years ago, you hung brown curtains in our bedroom. And you know that I hate the color brown. And you did that to spite me. For 25 years, this dude held the grudge because she put brown curtains in the room bedroom. Literally. You know what she said? She's like, but you forget that, that at that point in time in our life, you working night shift. I put brown curtains in the room because that, they were the darkest things I could find to keep the most light out and give you the best chance of sleeping at night. Wow. Think about that. 25 years, he'd been holding a grudge. And in, in her mind, she did the best thing she could for him. And he's mad for 25 years. But it gets better. <laughs> There's a better one than that, man. So uh, got involved in a situation with some friends. And this is uh, not, not really the church, but just some uh, family friend who'd gone through some, a very difficult time. And uh, she had uh, been through a, a life-changing situation. And she had time to think. And she went back through some stuff in her life. And she had... Over the years, had she's basically our age, and she had over the years covered up um, some serious abuse that happened at the hand of an older brother, and it was it was tough stuff. And she was really her heart was to she wanted the family to be reconciled, but she felt like this needed to get processed, you know. And mom and dad weren't listening to her, and and so here comes this knight in shining armor by the name of David McIntosh. <laughs> Anyways, I, I knew the family, um, had actually had relationships in the family. They weren't, they were just great friends of ours uh, through different, uh, different areas. And so I really felt like um, that we could make a difference. And so one, one evening, uh, we set an appointment up. Susan and I did to go into the and do the family meeting to have a, just a, a family, truthfully, trying to resolve a family conflict. And wanted to make Christmas better, wanted to make Thanksgiving better, wanted, really wanted to bring some healing to a broken family. That was our goal, right? And so we get there, and we knew that it was going to be tough getting there, trying to accomplish, you know, getting uh, some sort of admission and, and moving on, processing through this, and even some forgiveness through the parents and stuff, just a lot of different stuff. But so we had this meeting set up, and uh, we had asked um, some parties to stay away, just we knew that... Uh, it was going to be a tough conversation. I was very clear. I said, now, this is the meeting. You don't need to be here. Stay away. And, and there was agreement. We thought there was agreement on that. Halfway through, our, halfway through the conversation, I remember clearly the, the front door flying open. And there's a, just a minute. You're like, I mean, just in a second, you're like, uh-oh. What happens at that point in time is someone comes in the house uh, with a gun. And here we are in a family setting trying to bring resolve and, and trying to bring healing to a family and ultimately comes a handgun out. And for about a minute and a half, things were intense. I, I'm pretty sure I lost about seven years of life in a minute and a half because it just, 
your adrenaline's out there. Immediately, you go from being calm to being, I mean, adrenaline pumping out your ears, right? It's, it's crazy. And you have no idea what's going to happen. And this gun starts getting flailing around, and, 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 and the, the voices are escalating. It's getting loud. It's getting really, really loud. It was absolutely insane. Luckily, uh, unfortunately, uh, no one was shot that day. Um, it, was, uh, it was handled uh, fairly well. Uh, but it was it was pretty intense, um, and so I understand. Uh, you know, you see these policemen go in these domestic situations very carefully. I get that. I uh, you know, I I was never truly never in harm's way. The gun ended up being a BB gun, but you didn't know that at first. It looked like a handgun. You know, it's black. It's it's metal. That thing's waving around. You have no idea what's going to happen. I remember thinking, do I throw myself in front of Susie? Do I throw her across the back of the couch? What do I do with her? You know, trying trying to figure out how do we protect people here. And it was pretty intense, and so. You know, truthfully, uh, a counseling situation that I thought was going to be family healing and family reconciliation ultimately uh, becomes a, a high watermark of my ministry. I've never had a gun pulled out of their time, but just that once. But it was it was tough. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope that that's the one and only, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and me both, brother. Yeah. Uh, I cannot say I've had that experience, but I'm also pretty sure that that's not the first counseling session where a gun has been pulled out. So. I don't doubt that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that story. That's going to be hard to forget. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Dave, one of the misconceptions in my experience with pastoring um, from a congregation person from a, from a church goers perspective is that, is that pastors are often the, at the peak of spiritual growth or at the pinnacle (laughs) in the relationship with God. Uh, But the truth is, is that, that, Guys who pastor, if they're really honest, uh, we're all just in process and trying to be like Jesus. Um, and so what's been your experience as a pastor in growing in your in your spirituality, in your in your walk with Jesus? You know, there is a sense where there's this whole the man of God, right? And, and there's this whole level of reverence. And, and, I, and I, you know, if you were to talk to my dad, um, there, there was a sense where the man of God was was reverence, respected because he had attained this level. I'm looking for that switch, man, or that poster, that pill, whatever it is they took back things. I don't, I don't know where it is. I don't, I don't have it. Um, and maybe it's just me, but I, for us, for me, the growth has been a process and a little bit like a breach birth. Sometimes my friend, it's not been easy. It's been hard, man. It's been, um, difficult. I, I, uh, I look back and, and I, so obviously it's not been easy. God did, I feel like called me after three times of being hard headed. And maybe that was the mark of my ministry was I was hard headed because <laughs> there's been times <laughs> where he's had to, in a sense, break me down. And, and, um, and even just, you know, you come to, um, you know, it's, it's crazy how that, uh, um, I don't know if this is in every world, but, uh, in church world anyways, you, you get, uh, you, know, you hear people say we want to do this, but they really don't mean that, right? <laughs> it's like it's like this. We we want we want to we want to change, we want to grow, but yet there's a, there's this hesitation in that, right? And so, if as a pastor you take that, you find yourself uh, a lot of times um, maybe uh, in in for some heartache, and um, yeah. ultimately, uh, God has grown me through that. I mean, and maybe it's um, through selfish pursuits, selfish desires. I don't know what it is, but there's been times where you know, you've tried to do something in the church or you try to do something, you know, in the community and has, that's fallen flat or you find people. Um, and that's, that's the, the beauty of church and the, in the difficult church is people, right? You love people. In fact, if it weren't for people, there would be no church. 
But sometimes those same people can cause you heartache and cause you hard times for sure. And some of the hardest things in, in my ministry have, have been just, just people that were um, difficult. I, I don't think I'm a difficult guy. I really don't. Um, don't always do things right. Um, don't, I mean, I, I'm not infallible at all. But I try to, you know, obviously push for what I think is good and what is right. And there's been times where, you know, other people haven't agreed that that was the right way. <laughs> Imagine that, <laughs> you know. And so, but there's been times where it's become very difficult. And, um, and God has, has grown me um, through those hard times. I, uh, in fact, there was, there was a couple uh, years where it was very difficult. Um, just a lot of struggle with, I struggle with call. You know, it, it, is, is this the right call? Is this the right calling? Um, am I the right person? And ultimately, God would always cycle back and circle back to remind me of those things. But it was never like, for me anyways, it didn't come like right away. Mm. It was like this sense where it, it, it came again through great struggle and great difficulty. And I can remember um, being, I like, to, I like to deer hunt just as a getaway. I'm more like, I'm more like to sit in the woods more I like to do. I like to be in the woods and just kind of, I use a deer hunting with my bow as the excuse to be out in the woods, right? I feel like I'm do, getting something accomplished. But I remember sitting there with my, my tree stand one time, just, just praying, God, I, I'm a pastor, but I need to know if you're real. And I think that sounds a little surreal, right? Coming from a pastor who literally gets in the pulpit every week and, and, and should be declaring and proclaiming the witness of Jesus Christ and the power of God. But yet here I am sitting in the woods about seven miles from where I'm at right now, wondering, God, are you even real? You know, cause it just, it, there was some stuff, just hard stuff going on. But I also look back on those days and realize that, man, when you have to rely on God for everything, mm-hmm. there's a certain power in your prayer life that you don't get any other way. I mean, you, we, we can talk prayer platitudes. We can talk prayer depth. But when you literally say, God, I need you to take a breath for me. I need, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to take a step for me. And you get there where that's what you have to have. Your prayer life is never the same. And so those, those moments of, of, or, or days or weeks or years of, of frustration that we go through. I mean, I think anybody goes through those as a pastor as well. You go through those, but those are the days that grow us. I, I uh, you know, it's, it's, you never go to the doctor when you're feeling well, right? You don't go to the doctor and say, doc, I'm feeling great. Can you check me out? You know, you go to the doctor because you're, you're, you're hurting. And that's a lot of times we have that same way with God. We, we go to him when we need him. And I've always been reminded that verse in Psalms, it says, and David says, it's Psalms 80 or something says, I've never seen God's people forsaken or the right, righteous begging bread. Now that means there's not going to be hard times, but man, God will always be there. And so that's, so the maturing for me has been through, maybe unrealized expectations and different stuff. And so the reality is that there's been, God has grown me, desperately grown me through some of those times. That's a good word. I appreciate it, Dave. Again, thank you for the uh, authenticity and the honesty, because I feel like you describe what a lot of people are living through, but never have a chance to articulate. Well, thank you. That's good. Dave, one of my favorite places to travel in the entire world is to Israel. And I know that you've been to Israel. And so I was wondering if you could share with us a story from your trip to the Holy Land. Um, yeah, I do. I, uh, it's, 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 it's a great place to go. In fact, you hear people say it's like walking through the Bible or walking in Jesus' steps. And uh, it is. It's a little bit, I guess my recommendation would be to go like two or three times. The first time you're just so overwhelmed by everything. I mean, you just see so much you can't process. I know people said, 
take a diary, take a journal, take this, and they're in their room at night writing notes down. But you still, you get overwhelmed by how much you're seeing. So maybe the best recommendations go more than once. But, um, you know, I think the the crazy part is um, being at the Garden Tomb. Mm. And just and just where Israel and we were there, Jerusalem was busy. And the Garden Tomb is in no way, it's it's not... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great place, but it's not really what you think. I mean, it's on the, kind of the backside of a bus parking lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really what you think out of the way. It's not, it's not, it shouldn't be peaceful. But even in the midst of that, that hubbub of Israel, Jerusalem, there's this quiet there. And I, and I don't know, I mean, if, if for sure that we don't, I don't think we know for sure the exact, the exact place. And there's, some, there's obviously some lot of expectation on that. But it's just the fact that you can look at the tomb, a tomb that would, very similar to what Jesus probably was buried in, but to find that stone all the way and know that the Jews and the Romans and the demonic force thought they had him. They put him in that tomb, they rolled that stone there like, we won, we got it. But you see that stone rolled away in that tomb empty, and you know, man, God's got it. And you find in that place, you find such the hope, you find the, the balm for your soul, the hope of eternity, and you say, this is what we're living for. And I, would, I, I think just the, the garden team, we had, we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of fun stuff and some crazy stuff while we were there. Uh, but I think the, the garden tomb, just be able to sit there and, and just take in the magnitude of what an empty tomb looks like. We don't, we don't celebrate that. We, who, who goes to the cemetery here to look for empty grave sites? We don't do that here, right, in America. I mean, it's just because you, you don't expect that. But to go to a tomb, to a gravesite, and see this open sepulcher that should have had or should have bodies in it, but yet Jesus isn't there. And they, you know, what does the angel say? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And if you consider and just take that in, I think it just makes it. It just it just becomes this impetus, this motivation in your heart, man. This makes sense. And what what and. It, Proves God's love, and there's all sorts of things there. But that, that, to me, the Garden Tomb was was pretty was pretty amazing place. So that's excellent. Thanks, brother, for sharing that. I hope people get a chance to go there and experience what you experienced as well. Well, that's been this week's episode of Hall Talk. Again, I'm your host, Jared Hall, and that was my conversation with my dear friend David McIntosh. I hope that you've been encouraged by his stories. And until next time, I hope that you have a great week. As always, feel free to share, leave a comment. And if you have any Bible questions or any questions whatsoever about leadership or any of the topics we look at on the show, feel free to reach out to me. My email is jared.hall at gmail.com. That's G-E-R-A-D period H-A-L-L at gmail.com. Hope you have a great week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Hall Talk. Share your voice by leaving a comment or asking a question. Join the team by hitting like, subscribing, and sharing with others. As always, join us next time for more insights and conversations on Hall Talk.